Hi everyone, it's Grace. I recently illustrated the special edition hornbook cover for the Newberry Centennial. The art was so well received that I decide to make a poster of it. The sale of the poster will benefit everylibrary.org, the first and only national political action committee for libraries, which, with all the recent attempted book banning, you know we need. You can purchase the poster through the Eric Carle Museum. The link will be in the show notes. I hope you take a look and buy one or two and help our libraries. Hi, I'm Alvina Ling. And I'm Grace Lin. And, and we're, we're book friends forever. We're childhood friends that grew up to be a children's book editor and an author and illustrator. Welcome to Book Friends Forever. This is the self-love and self-care with Kaysen calendar episode. Every week we catch up with each other's lives, talk about what's on our minds, and share with each other what we're grateful for. And check out our website, bookfriendsforever.com. The website will include more detailed show notes as well as links to the episodes. And please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoy our podcast, please tell a friend about it. And also, please consider joining our Patreon. Yes, we would love your support to keep this podcast going. Unfortunately, we have no new <laughs> patrons to thank again. But thank you for those of you who are already patrons. We really, truly appreciate your support. Yes, remember we're asking for just $1 an episode and you'll get a special notebook with Art by Grace featuring a quote by my mother. If it is to be, it is up to me while supplies last, as well as access to the Random Questions podcast. And if you are already a patron, please make sure you message us your mailing address on Patreon so that we can get you your notebook. So today we're welcoming a special guest, Kaysen Callender. Welcome, Kaysen. Hello, Yay. thanks for having me. Kaysen is a National Book Award winning author of middle grade, young adult, and adult fiction. So welcome, Kaysen. Do you want to introduce yourself a little bit more and maybe also share your pronouns? Sure. Um, so I use they, them pronouns. And I guess my kind of like small biography is that I'm originally from St. Thomas of the U.S. Virgin Islands. But um, I've actually been moving around quite a lot recently. So I went to New York after that. And that's when I was working at Willow Brown Books Young Readers for a bit. Um, and then after a while, I left and went to Philadelphia, which was great. But unfortunately, one year in is when the pandemic hit. So I didn't really get to get to know the city that well. And I went back to St. Thomas. And now I'm all the way out in Los Angeles. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. <laughs> Nice. Yeah. So um, I guess I should tell listeners in case they don't know that uh, when Kaysen worked at Little Brown, you were my assistant. Um, I was, and, yeah. And I think you you made it up to associate editor before you you left. Is that mm -hmm. right? Yeah, I was an associate editor. And you worked with Grace. I know. And you were an amazing... Were, wait, so were you associate editor then when you were, worked with me on um, when, the was... turned, the when the sea turned to silver? I think I was assistant editor when I was working with you. But your insight on that book was amazing. So I really appreciate you. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, it was an incredible honor to be able to work with you. But that was so many years ago. I don't even remember. The <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, it was, I guess it must have been 2015. <clears throat> mm -hmm. um, because it because the book, came, or maybe it was 2014 or 15, because the book came out in 2016 and that's when it was a national book award finalist because that was when the election was yep. <laughs> i'll always remember me too <laughs> oh well but speaking of books casen do you want to tell our listeners a couple of your titles just yeah, so, so uh, get an idea yeah um i think my most well-known books at this point are probably Felix Ever After, um, which is a YA, and King and the Dragonflies, which won the National Book Award. And my two upcoming books are Moonflower, which is a middle grade coming out on September 6th, and a YA called Larkin Kasim Start a Revolution, which is coming out on September 27th. So exciting. Yeah. Um, all right. So as you know, and as we told you, we, we always start this podcast by catching up with each other's lives. So we thought we'd start with you. How have you been? You can sure. either say in the last year or last week. I've been really great. Um, LA is definitely 
very different from a place I've ever um, experienced. It's just so it has taken some adjusting. But since I've gotten out here, um, I actually kind of like rediscovered my love of illustration and art. And mm-hmm. even before I was a writer as a kid, I always um, thought of myself as an artist first. I, I had always, no that's so cool. idea you were an yeah. illustrator. Oh, that's yeah. so cool. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, I it's I was just thinking that before the podcast started, I was like, maybe I should speak to you a little bit more about this, Grace, because I'm curious now about you know, your background. So I'm thinking of going to art college while I'm out here. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. So some big changes. I really want to, um, my dream had always been to illustrate my own graphic novels and to get into animation. So now I feel like, well, you know, why not? Why not? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, was it Pasadena uh, Art? Art Center. Yeah. Art Center. Yes. Lots of Lots yeah, of artists, that's where children's Peter, book and graphic novelists too. I think that's where Peter Brown and Dan Santent went. So, oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So feel- and also Ed Young. I guess Ed Young went there before it was in Pasadena. Okay. Um, Wen Pham went there, I think. Yeah. Um, Elaine Smith. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Oh, and Mar- Marla Frazee, I think, went there. Yeah. So, yes, so it's, a, of- it's a great place uh, for you to go to school and uh, start your, start your, illustration journey if you want to <laughs> yeah wow. I'll put this as a sign to, to go for it <laughs> and then maybe next time we have you as a guest you'll also be the, an author and illustrator of picture books and graphic or novels graphic novels <laughs> <laughs> yeah that'll be the dream <laughs> that's amazing Alvina how have you been um I have been good I I do still have a little bit of a cough as you might hear throughout this episode because I am still recovering from COVID sadly I mean, happily recovering. Um, I, yeah, I guess, I guess it's been, I, I don't know. I feel like it's lingering now for over two weeks. Mm. I had kind of gotten better. And then, um, I don't know, I had vertigo all of a sudden. Like I woke up one morning and I just felt really dizzy and I had vertigo and I've had like slight vertigo before. So I knew how that felt. And so that was really tough actually, you know, cause it just throws you off. Um, luckily, if I was just sitting and at my desk, it, it didn't, I didn't feel so bad, but definitely just even walking was, was a problem. So I did the Epley maneuver, which I think I've talked about before, and that helped a little bit. And so I, I definitely feel like I'm on the road, you know, to recovery, but I still have a little bit of a lingering cough. So anyway, uh, is the vertigo still there? The vertigo is gone, but I feel a little bit of dizziness still. So not like you know, not, I feel like my balance is okay. I just, I don't know. I, I actually looked up COVID fog because I thought, wait, maybe this is COVID fog because it just, you know, I, I feel a little fuzzy, but I, I don't have, at least I don't think, um, you know, forgetfulness or, you know, like a lot of people who have had COVID fog say that they, they can't remember things, they can't think straight, they can't make decisions, things like that. And that hasn't been my problem. I just, just feel a little bit fuzzy, I guess. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's just a slight COVID fog. I don't know. But I'm just hoping that I'll be completely recovered by the time I get to go on vacation, <laughs> um, which is in less than two weeks. So I'm excited about that. And I'm just trying to get out some last minute edits, including with your book race, <laughs> <laughs> including mine. <laughs> um, I'm doing like final edits for Holly Black's next book, which is coming Ooh. out in January and is so good. Um, and I need to edit uh, Peter Brown's next book too. Wild oh. Robot. Wild Robot. Oh gosh, now I forget. Maybe I do have COVID fog. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's called Wild Robot Protects. Um, that could be wrong. Anyway, the third Wild Robot book. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's how I've been doing. How have you been, Grace? Um, I, you know, overall, I'm pretty good. Um, I've been trying to keep cool. It's been so hot. I'm really, really grateful that our air conditioning works now. My husband is from um, Canada, so we are not made for this weather, but we're getting through. Um, one of the weird things that has been happening to me is um, I've been having like this weird like arthritis in my fingers. <laughs> like, I think it's like age, it's like, is age finally catching up to me? But um, Cause like, uh, I think it's because I do most of my writing 
like kind of sitting on my sofa with my legs extended, right? And I've been uh, doing it pretty intensely now because I've been trying to get this first draft out to you that we're editing. And um, I don't know, my fingers feel like all, all strange. Um, and so I've been trying to figure out ways to uh, alleviate that. Like, so I've been trying to do the more traditional way of like sitting up like at the table and writing. And, it's, and I think that actually helps because I think it's that weird like shoulder thing. I don't know what's going on, uh, but it's strange because um, even though I think it's better for my fingers, I can feel it being harder to write for me. I don't know, Kason, do you ever have this like, there's certain things like little things can throw you off your writing game. Does that have happened to you or is it just me in my head? <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Like I, I feel like I also take less energy when I'm writing lying down. Sometimes I'll even like close my eyes a little bit and it just kind of like flows out a lot more easily than sitting up at a table. Yeah. Yeah. I feel yeah. like I, if my, when my, when I can't extend my legs and I can't be like in a, in that like kind of half reclined sofa position, it, doesn't come out as easy even though it's better for my for my hands and arms and shoulders so it's a really strange kind of feeling but I actually think that kind of ties in a little bit with our topic today <laughs> that's yeah. true self-care and self-love so Kaysen you had suggested this topic which mm -hmm. I do think is very appropriate uh considering these chaotic and terrible times we're living in right now um so can you talk a little bit more about how you define self-care and self-love and why you wanted to discuss these topics? Yeah, um, you know, for me, I feel like the definition is constantly changing depending on what I need. But now for me, it's following what feels good and expansive and saying no to what doesn't feel good and what feels more constricting. Um, I think I used to just constantly say yes to everyone and everything. And it took kind of like a healing of being a people pleaser to realize that that wasn't my authentic self. And it just didn't feel, um, it just didn't feel good. Mm -hmm. And I, I suggested it because that's basically the main topic that's on my mind, that's in the forefront of my mind every day. So it felt like the one that I was feeling excited to talk about the most. Oh, that's great. Um, so I guess, can you tell us a little bit about your journey to prioritize it? Like what, what made you to prioritize it? Um, I feel like a lot of people have a similar um, story where the pandemic kind of forced everyone to stop and self-reflect on why it is that a lot of us just weren't feeling happy. Um, so I think that that was basically it. Like the pandemic really forced me to stop and take note of my life and um, kind of like reflect on what it was that just wasn't working. Um, and I think that that's, that was basically like a trigger or a catalyst to really begin looking into um, people pleasing, like attachment style, like all these kind of like what I think are kind of buzzwords these days, but aren't necess not necessarily in a bad way. So what are the changes that you made in your life? from this kind of, these thoughts? Yeah, I have like really been prioritizing um, putting an end to the people pleasing, but I think that that's taken kind of like stopping and figuring out how to um, embody, be more embodied and more self-aware. And I think that before I really started kind of like all of this self-healing, self-care journey, I didn't really feel as connected to my body to be able to even say what felt like a yes and what felt like a no, because I was just in such a state of everything must be a yes, like kind of like survival mode mm. um, for the sake of safety, really for feeling safe. Mm -hmm. So now I've been in such a space of more embodiment that I'm kind of, I'm able to, for the first time, feel like oh this feels good this feels like authentically like something I would want to do and this does not feel good this is something I don't want to do um do so in order to get to that that's like taken a lot of like meditation and yoga and that sort of thing oh do you want to give us a example of something that you said no to recently that like can inspire us <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, actually I have like a friend who reached out and asked if I want to go on a hike with them um and I think that in the past I would normally just immediately say yes, because it's my friend, I want to hang out with them. But that some, but it's taking me a while to realize there's nuance. Yes, I want to hang out with my friend, but no, I do not want to do a hike. It's hot. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I'm, I'm tired. Like, I don't want to hike. So I said, yes, I do want to hang out with you, but can we go to the park instead? Mm. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Do you, so it sounds like you've brought this both into your personal life and I assume also your professional life. Would you say that's the case? And what are some of the, I guess, professional things that you've, I guess, learned to say no to? Yeah, um, there was definitely a time when I was saying yes to every single event because I thought that that's what I needed to do to um, be successful. And I was also afraid of um, disappointing like publishers, my agent. So I would just say, yes to every single event um, and have like multiple events a week and exhaust myself. But I finally got to a space of being able to say no to some events, say yes to, to others, whichever one sparked that like genuine excitement. And um, I think that that's really helped me keep um, more kind of like, it, it allows me to have more energy for what actually does feel good, such as like writing or art, you know? Mm-hmm. So as an author, um, is there like something like a rubric you use to figure out like, which ones do I say yes to? Which ones do I say no to? Or is it just all gut feeling? I've just been going with gut feeling. Um, and I, there's like no logic to it, which really scares me as someone who <laughs> I usually tend to be very like in my head and think and analyze and figure out what like next steps should be versus what I think seems most logical. Um, so relying on my gut feeling has felt um scary not only for just events but even for like life choices and which book do I write next and like all of that um but at the same time it's also felt a little more freeing because I'm able to be able to say yes I want to do this and it like actually feel excited about it instead of saying yes to things I then begin to like dread having to do which takes Mm. even more energy Mm, that makes sense I wish there was some kind of rubric (laughs) (laughs) that would make life a lot, a lot, at least. Maybe we can, maybe we can come up with one, you know, like a a flow chart or something. A flow chart. (laughs) Like, does it make you cringe to think about doing (laughs) yes or no? You know, my problem is that um, events will come to me and they seem so far away. They're like, how about March 20th, 2020? Three. And I'm like, sure, that sounds great. Because like now it seems so far away, like that's fine. But then March 2023 comes and I'm like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> you know, like, and so that's been my problem is that it's like this, um, it, it feels fine when I say yes, but by the time it comes around, I'm like, why did I say yes to this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're you're cursing your past self. I know. <laughs> So Kaysen, a while ago, now I I should have looked it up to see if it was pre-pandemic, but I guess you could tell us, um, you wrote a really powerful post, I think a couple posts actually about social media and and the life of an author. And so we'll link to that for our listeners, but I'm just curious, like what made you write that? Was that related to this self-love and self-care? Yeah, definitely. And I think it was towards the beginning of me um, kind of like figuring out how to go by gut feeling and do what feels good and what doesn't feel good um, and stop doing what doesn't feel good, I mean. So um, basically, I felt, I feel like it was sparked by, I remember there was some kind of like Hubba Baloo on Twitter as there normally <laughs> is. That's um, shocking. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can't remember exactly what it was. Um, and maybe it doesn't matter. But basically, I feel like there was an implication that if you aren't successful as an author and you're not on social media, it's your own fault. Um, mm. And I felt like it was a it was a, almost kind of like a Um, form of gaslighting, because I do think that the idea that traditionally published, I should say traditionally published authors have to be on social media for their success is a lie because um, publishers, in my opinion, hold the true power over who will be successful and not just based on straight up numbers. Um, So like, for example, an author could work just as hard as like another author who's a best-selling author trying to get like their books pushed out there on social media but if they don't have like the number of printings behind them and they only have like 500 print, um, copies that are going to be printed for example but they don't know that because the publisher isn't being as transparent 
then as hard as they work, they can do everything in their power, but they're only going to sell 500 versus the other author who is being given like 500,000 copies, you know? Mm. So I feel like um, there's just like a lot of, yeah. And kind of like when it comes to the mental health of all of that, it kind of struck me as almost um, cruel (laughs) Mm -hmm. to, to, to suggest or to um, imply that authors really have to be on there for their own success, even knowing that social media can be so detrimental to so many people's mental health. Um, So yeah, I had a lot of thoughts. I'm not even, honestly, I haven't even really looked at that blog post in a while. So I'm not totally sure if that completely like covered it or summarized it um, fully or accurately, but those are my current thoughts on it. And are you you know, because you do have a Twitter account that, um, I don't know, and you might not want to reveal this, but are you on Twitter yourself or do you have an assistant or someone else who, who manages your social media accounts? Well, for a while, it was my mom. <laughs> yeah, it was actually really sweet because she was, um, she really wanted to learn how to handle, to work Twitter and she uh, was excited to help me but um, after a while I started to feel bad that she was on there because then she was getting swept up on the Twitter hubba balloon <laughs> <laughs> and, she was, she, and she also started to um, now I'm like wondering if she's going to listen to this podcast and be like why are you talking about my business <laughs> <laughs> sorry mom but she started to tell me how she was feeling like um, almost like an addiction. And I feel like that is a huge part of it that we, um, that maybe isn't like talked about enough that social media is literally addicting. Um, So I decided to take responsibility and take the account back, but I basically um, don't scroll and I kind of like retweet or like for notifications. And that's um, the boundary I place with myself. Are you only on Twitter or are you on the other like Instagram and Facebook and TikTok and all those things. Yeah, I quit everything else. I did recently join TikTok just for my art. So I'm really hoping I'm not discovered because I don't want anyone to think that I'm there as an author, but I'm posting my um, art. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, It's interesting what you say about authors feeling like they have to be on social media because I, I feel that myself. Like it feels like a almost like a requirement and when people say no you don't have to like it's almost like um it's almost like wanting to believe in Santa Claus is I'm like yes I know you're right but then there's a part of you's like but that's not true <laughs> like so it's it's um it, it's interesting because um it's like a myth that has so much power you know yeah I mean I've said uh, many, many times on this podcast that I don't think authors need to be on social media, nor should they if they d- aren't comfortable with it. But I, but I think that why it's so compelling, I guess, is because there's so little, I think that authors feel like they can do themselves to help sell mm-hmm. their books. So it seems like, well, like, that's one thing I can try to do. And so you feel like you should do it. I also think right now, especially during the pandemic and all these things, it just feels like the publishers are doing less and less for books, especially during the pandemic. Like, it's not like they could send people out and have events, you know? And so everything seemed to be focused on social media. Like, felt like that was the only way to get the word out about your book. Um, And that just, I feel, kind of made the pressure even greater. Yeah. And one thing I um, forgot to mention, I did want to, is that I do think that that lands on marginalized authors even more, mm-hmm. where um, because marginalized authors historically don't tend to get as much marketing, then they tend to do kind of what I do feel is the literal job of the publisher by marketing themselves and being their own publicist and really being out there, like hitting the road and doing so much work where it seems unfair because oftentimes you'll see like um, more privileged authors who are getting kind of like the backing and don't have to be on social media as much. I don't know if that's necessarily um, what y'all see as well because I haven't been. I, 
I think that's, I don't know if that's true now, because, um, but I do believe that that's true when I first started, like 20 years ago, I really felt like I had to be my own um, publicist. I remember, like, I made my own, like, I had this book called Fortune Cookie Fortunes, and I, like, I had my own custom fortune cookies made, and, like, 500 of them, and I had them sent to, like, the Random House booth at, like, ALA, you know, like, I did so much stuff to promote my own books, you know, and I've just felt like that was what I had to do because it just felt like that's what was expected since I wasn't a mainstream author, like uh, nobody else was going to do it. And there's a part of me that um, feels like all those little things have added up to where I am now too. So that's why I think I understand why authors push so hard on social media because they're thinking like I did back then, like, okay, this isn't going to sell my book, this book specifically, but maybe all these little things will add together and make me a career, you know? Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's right or wrong, but I do think that's what crosses my, my mind a lot of the times. Yeah, I don't think that there's a right or wrong answer to any of this. It's just, again, going back to like, what feels good and what do you actually want to do? And I think that that, I think the only wrong is in expecting people to um, do the work and be on social media, even knowing that sometimes it isn't actually even going to help promote the book um, and sell copies in the way that they're expecting it to, um, knowing that they don't want to and it's detrimental to their mental health and expecting that they do anyway. Yeah, it's just unfair in general, regardless. (laughs) Right. I mean, and it's wrong to blame, you know, someone for, Mm -hmm. you know, like, okay, well, the reason why your book didn't sell is because you weren't on social media. I mean, I, you know, that would be wrong. Um, Going back to self-care and self-love, I guess, aside from learning how to say no to the things that didn't feel good, are there other things that you learned how to do or started doing, I guess, to, to, to make sure that you took care of yourself. Yeah, I've really been um, practicing meditation a lot and meditation has been, um, it's looked like a lot of different, it's, it's taken on a lot of different forms, but I think kind of like sitting in my body and actually feeling emotions um, and learning how to feel emotions was the biggest um, step in, in learning how to actually feel what in my gut feels good. Mm-hmm. So is there some advice you'd give to authors uh, to help them find kind of their, their, how to feel their gut, I guess? <laughs> it's so hard, right? Um, I don't know. Like, I honestly don't even know if this is something that so many people struggle with. For me, I, it's been like about all my life that I've realized I haven't actually known what it feels to actually like feel emotion just because of my own um, kind of like past experiences. So I can't say to others how to feel your emotions and how to like focus on what feels good without knowing what their past experience are, if that makes any sense. Like, I feel like it's all mm-hmm. kind of like connected to what their own healing journeys might look like. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think it might be an individual. Um, it might depend on the individual. That's true. So just really think about what, what makes you tick, I guess, what makes you feel good. Yeah. Maybe that's the, maybe that's the advice. The advice is to, to become self-aware of, of who you are and what made you, right? It's like, that's, Mm -hmm. that's the first step because you can't go anywhere without knowing that. Yeah. I like it. So I guess this question maybe is the same answer, but um, is that, you know, you've also worked on the publishing side and, you know, with publisher people on the publishing side, in addition to authors, of course, um, there's a lot of burnout. And do you have any, I guess, insight or advice to people who are on the publishing side? Yeah, I don't have anything else to add (laughs) except for what- The same. (laughs) Um, But I am curious if you have any advice, Alvina. Um, you know, I don't have any advice now, except I, I think it's the same though. Like, for example, I've talked about how, I guess in the past, you know, trying to attain work-life balance, there was a period of time where I, I, I said, okay, I'm not going to work on, I'll, I'm, I'm going to have at least one week 
weekend day where I'm not working. But then I realized, I, I guess this goes back to realizing what feels good to me. I realized that stressed me out more than it helped me. It, it made me just feel like, because sometimes some days I actually wanted to work. I, I felt like working <laughs> and mm -hmm. it, it would make me feel good to say edit on a Saturday rather than not edit on a Saturday. Um, so I think I just learned to just go with, I don't know, what I felt like and not, not I guess, not put all these just arbitrary rules, I guess, on, on my work life yeah. balance. Mm -hmm. You know, I really, that really rings a bell. I mean, I don't know if that's the right word, uh, but I really feel a kinship to that because I feel like early, not early, but with, throughout my career, I've always been trying to be like balance, 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 life, balance, work, balance, all these things. And I remember it was actually when I was doing um, Kid Lit Women and uh, it reminded me of a conversation I had on Kid Lit Women with um, Megan Dowd Lambert. And how she was saying how, you know, she looked at her life as a stovetop oven, you know, and like putting certain things on the burner, you know, and like some things go on the top, in the back burner, some things go on the front burner, and how she was just always moving things around. And I really liked that a lot better. And it was kind of like this idea of forget about balance, just some things take priority at this time, like instead of balance, it's like seasons, like this is the time that I concentrate on this and and then when that's done then I can concentrate on something else and uh, I found that much much easier than trying to do everything all at once you know mm -hmm. so um that's that's what I thought there's this other I, I haven't read about it so I'm sure some of our listeners have but there's something called spoon theory where it's like you have a certain limited number of spoons I guess to to spend mm -hmm. <laughs> and you know at so there's something about, you know, like if you spend a spoon on like a social media post, then you might not have a spoon to spend on, um, you know, having dinner with a friend. I, you know, I, I don't know. There, there's something about um, just your, I guess, your resources or your energy. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I guess if some, you know, some weekends I do want to spend all my spoons on editing <laughs> Holly Black's <laughs> new book, but on a, another weekend, I don't want to do that. Um, but you know, it, it's funny though, because we I we've been talking about how a lot of editors have to edit on weekends, um, and I was just thinking, and we've also talked about how can we revolutionize publishing. <laughs> and one thing I just wondered, because I just I think I just take it for granted that I will have to edit on weekends because I'm in meetings and I can't edit during the week. But I just sometimes I do wonder, is there a way we can revolutionize publishing so that's not the case anymore? I I wish so too. I remember we had this conversation before and you were saying how there's just some people who will always overwork. They just like to overwork and be workaholics. But I know in some European countries, that is actually looked down upon because if you're like staying past five, it means you are not being effective with your time. You know, mm -hmm. it means that you are not uh, prioritizing well. And I was like, oh, how, how refreshing. Like the fact that you go home on time is actually a badge of honor <laughs> instead of vice versa. <laughs> I mean, it's becoming more like that now. I mean, I, I feel like most of my colleagues don't work much overtime, but they might work, you know, edit on weekends. So I guess that is overtime, but but you know, during the week, I, I think a lot of people are are working nine to five now, nine to six, you know, which is better than when I was um, starting out. Um, but I do, I don't know. I feel like something would have to more drastically change. I mean, we we have a position now, Case, and I don't know if you know this, but we we have a someone on staff who is a associate desk editor, and her job is to edit. That's all she does. She doesn't acquire. She might do some admin, you know, for those books that she edits, but um, she basically spends all day editing, which sounds amazing. Right, um, that sounds like the dream. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know. I, I do feel like, in a way, um, I don't know. I mean, in my job, I couldn't do that because I have, I do have to go to meetings and and deal with other kind of business. But issues but see doesn't that in some ways feel a little backwards right it feels like 
the more successful or higher up the ladder you go, like the more you should be able to um, do what you want to do, right? Um, Because there's, it was like, I listened to this podcast. I was like, I'm so successful now. I'm not busy, you know? Yeah, I guess, I mean, some people who are higher up, they, they don't acquire and edit their own books anymore and then they just delegate. Um, you know, obviously they still have to work, but they don't, like, you know, my, Megan, you know, my boss, the publisher, I don't think she works on weekends. I mean, I think she might every now and then to do like a project or email, but she doesn't really edit many novels um, anymore. So I'm pretty sure she, she's able to do most of her editing you know, during work hours. Um, I think it's it's kind of like the teacher who's promoted up and becomes an administrator, mm-hmm. but then they don't, they don't get to teach anymore. I don't, you know, like I don't, I, I think it's because I want to edit out of choice. I want, I still want to acquire and edit books. So if that's my choice, um, but I also have to do all my admin duties, then mm. I don't really know if that could change. But I think if someone is at a mid-level, like an editor level, senior editor level, it might be maybe there is a way to allow them to not edit on the weekends we do have one editor and she told tells me that she doesn't edit on weekends she she did she doesn't work on weekends so she is able to do it for the most part so I guess it's possible (laughs) I don't know I don't even find it possible as an author like Kaysen how does it like for me I found it fascinating how much business stuff I have to do um and I'm writing on the weekends and working on the weekends too is how is it for you yeah um I mean I was kind of wondering the same question for you (laughs) Uh, (laughs) because I feel like I I've been thinking um I remember once and this is like partly back to like why I got off of social media because kind of like it was rare to be able to say something without getting in trouble for it but I remember (laughs) once on saying something on Twitter about how I'd spent the entire day writing. I'd spent like 12 hours and it felt like it felt, it felt like three hours or something because it had been so exciting and so in, in energizing and um, like the creativity of the writing just felt like really joyful. So it didn't feel like 12 hours passed. And I feel like um, the kind of backlash I got was the implicate was because I was implying that authors should be working for 12 hours. And I feel like this kind of like feeds into the whether like writing is actually a part of um, the conversation in terms of like if we should feel pressured to write or if it's okay to just go for it if it feels joyful and freeing. Mm. Yeah, it's kind of like that because we're all writing for the public in a way, you know, because our books go out into the public. It's always been that fine line of writing as in a way art versus writing as um a job (laughs) I think I've been leaning a lot into writing as just art and if it's like the moment it turns into feeling like a job that's when I know the book isn't something I even want to be writing anymore Mm. yeah I mean that's similar I think to me as an editor you know for me the reason why I thought well, why don't I edit on the weekends is because, you know, I got into this job because I love reading so much. And for me, editing is just being a careful reader. And so, I mean, I, I'm enjoying it. I, you know, I, I keep saying like, I love my job and it, but it is true. I do still love my job. So if it doesn't feel like work, then why not, why not do it? I guess. Um, It's like that TikTok song. I don't know where it came from, but it's like, hey, 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 I'm on vacation. <laughs> it's the one where it's like every day, I can't remember the words, but it's basically every day's a vacation when you love your occupation. <laughs> anyway, I always have random TikTok songs in my head. Um, okay, well, let's, I guess one more question. Um, what is the best and worst advice that you've ever received? Do you have any do's and don'ts that you'd like to give our listeners? Um, the best is exactly as everything I've been saying already is like just follow what feels joyful and expansive um, as a compass for decisions. But the worst was when I was a kid and I was told that sometimes you just have to do things that you don't want to do. And that it's just like your responsibility and you have to do them. 
Um, unfortunately, we are in a society where it <laughs> kind of feels like we're forced to do that. But I, I think I'm in a space of like, why though? You know, like, why does that have to be the case? Why can't we just not do the things we don't want to do and figure out a way to actually just make that be life, you know? Mm. I guess it's kind of like we had talked about adult homework. I mean, if, for example, like paying taxes or doing your income taxes, I guess some people figure out a way to delegate it <laughs> to someone else. <laughs> Some people uh, live off the grid. Maybe that's what I think. Like that's do. true. I am actually, we just started watching this documentary on HBO. Called, I forget what it's called, but it's basically about anarchists mm. who are, um, you know, just against the state and, and all about freedom and, and not doing things. And I don't know, maybe that is the way our society will head. <laughs> Although I think this, I think it turns into like a murder mystery. Oh. <laughs> <I'm not sure. laughs> it's a it's a documentary. And so I've only watched two episodes, but the last episode ended with someone said it turned and turned and uh, basically mentioned murder. So we'll see. <laughs> a dark turn. <laughs> yes. Fortune cookies. All right. So let's move on to our fortune cookie segment. Um, we thought we'd share something since we're talking about self-love and self-care um we shared something that made us laugh this week <laughs> Kason, why don't you start um i've been re-watching our flag means death and that <laughs> show is really brilliant and hilarious so i've been laughing every night <laughs> nice grace how about you what is something that made you laugh this week um so this this past week um uh, my daughter was in camp a sculpture pottery camp. And on the last day, uh, she said, mama, mama, I made you chicken fingers. And I was like, chicken fingers. And she <laughs> gave them to me and she had made me like little finger puppets. <laughs> They're all chicken heads. <laughs> and so I put them on. It's like, now you have chicken fingers. And it just made me laugh so hard. <laughs> That's so cute. And then you ate them. Like. <laughs> <laughs> or somebody, I, I posted it on Instagram and somebody said, now you're a chicken tender. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, puns and wordplay. <laughs> <I know. laughs> anyway, Alvino, what are you, what about you? Mine is also a TV show, um, which I think I've mentioned this show before, but um, in addition to loving The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, uh, Stephen and I have started also watching this show called F-Boy Island. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> I don't know if either of you, I know Grace has not. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I actually, sorry, have I've you seen, seen it, it advertised on HBO Max. I've never actually watched it. It's enjoyable. So we actually started watching it. I think we were back in California last summer and we saw billboards for it because they're all over LA, right? And we're like, F-Boy Island, what's that? But then, you know, we read about it or maybe I saw something about it on Instagram and I thought, okay, it's a dating show. It was created by a former producer from The Bachelor. And the premise is that, you know, in this case, they have three women who are like the bachelorettes. And then the contestants are, I don't, I don't know how many, maybe 30. And half of them are self-defined, self-proclaimed F-boys. And the other half are self-proclaimed nice guys, but they don't know who's who. And so, you know, the women get to date the men and decide who they like. And but whoever they pick for their final like person, you know, so the nice guys are there for love, at least that's what they say. And then the F boys are there for, you know, fame or money or whatever. Um, but at the end, the prize is a hundred dollars. And if the woman ends up with a nice guy, then they, they get to leave together and they split the money. But if it's a, with an F boy, the F boy can choose to split the money or they can choose to keep the money all to themselves. <laughs> so it's, I don't know, but I will say the production value and the host is Nikki Glaser and everyone is just, it's so well done and so entertaining and it doesn't take itself seriously and, but there are real feelings. And so it has the things that we, that I love about the bachelor bachelorette, but it, it's just so kind of silly too. Like, you know, everyone is there to, I don't know, mostly to, there to have fun and be entertaining and they're very entertaining. And so it just makes me laugh because they're, they, I think the producers and the editors of the show have a lot of fun with it. So there's one scene in particular where one of the contestants like kind of says the words, says a, a sentence in a very like 
certain way. He said, you know, he says it and, and he sings like you're, you're screwed. And whoever was editing the show, like put his dialogue in like a karaoke um, bubble at the bottom. And that just made us laugh. Anyway, that was a long-winded way to say F-Boy Island is funny. <laughs> and I recommend it. I have another show to binge. Yes, <laughs> there are two seasons of it and we definitely recommend it. Um, all right, so now we'll end as we always do with what we're grateful for. Grace, why don't you start us off? What are you grateful for? Um, okay, um, I have two things that I'm grateful for. One of my acquaintances on Facebook is suffering from cancer. And um, I, I think she's been suffering for quite a while, but it only came to my attention fairly recently. And it's brought back so many memories of Robert during his cancer and, and his subsequent loss. And um, it's just been um, really interesting to realize how much it affected me. And, and so I'm super grateful um, that, I'm, that I'm healthy now. Uh, I'm grateful that everybody in my immediate life right now is, is healthy because uh, just remembering those times and, you know, and I don't know, it's, it's, it's trite, but it's not trite, you know, like that idea, like, like you, tomorrow is, is never guaranteed, right? I guess uh, I was going to tie it into what we were talking about with art. Because I think it was interesting because um, when I remember when Robert died, I remember saying to myself, okay, from now on, every book that I do is going to be a book that a project that like, if I die tomorrow, this is the one I have to finish, right? <laughs> so like, and I remember feeling that way. Uh, and like, so trying really hard to make every project that I do be like the one that was like the project of the heart. But, you know, as time went on, like, that's really hard. And it's also a lot of pressure, right? A lot of stress. Yeah, it's stressful. And so I'm kind of grateful that um, I don't feel that way anymore. Does that make sense? It's like this idea like, oh, I can do a project that doesn't have to mean everything now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, I, and there's not one thing that changed that, but except for time. Um, so I guess that was what I'm grateful for. Uh, then the other thing I was grateful for <laughs> is uh, that my daughter is in camp this summer. <laughs> <laughs> and I love her in camp so much because number one, she, camp is actually longer than school. And not only that, she loves camp. She has such a good time. She comes back so happy. And like, it's just, it makes me like feel so much less guilt (laughs) that like I can just concentrate on my work. And I know she's off having a great time and I don't have to like um, worry about her at all. So, so I'm really grateful for camp as well for my daughter. (laughs) All right, Alvina, what are you grateful for? Um, well, first of all, I wanted to say, I think with that, you know, when the freedom, I guess, to work on what you want to work on, right, was, is, is nice without give, like putting that extra pressure on yourself that every project you work on has to be like profound in a way. Mm-hmm. And it, I guess that is what we've been talking about all episode is this kind of what brings you joy. I, I keep thinking about, um, what's her name, Marie Kondo, where, you know, she's like, does this mm-hmm. spark joy? Yeah. I feel like so many different things can spark joy. So it could be a silly chicken fingers um, or whatever project that maybe isn't profound, but just sparks joy. So I'm glad that you have, have, you, you have that feeling that you can work on whatever you want. Um, you. I'm grateful, I guess, that I, I, I have a job that I can't do remotely. Um, you know, I, I, I've been wanting to go into the office and technically we have been called back to go into the office two days a week, um, but I just have not been since I got back from California because I haven't just felt well enough. But even, you know, when I had vertigo, I just like, there's no way I can get on a a train right now. I just cannot make it into the office. And so I'm grateful that I can just sit at my computer and just go from my bedroom to my my office. Um, And then I'm also grateful for really great art. So in addition to F-Boy Island, which maybe is not great art, but is entertaining (laughs) and does spark joy, um, Steve and I watched another movie um, this past weekend. Good luck to you, Leo Grund. 
I, um, mm -hmm. I think it's what it's called, which um, Emma Thompson is in it. And it's such a, it's so wonderful. I mean, it's basically a two person movie, you know, kind of a, you know, all takes place for the most part in one room. Um, and it's just so well written and smart and we just really enjoyed it. And it really made me, it made me cry and made me laugh. Um, so I'm grateful for great art. Kason, what are you grateful for? Yeah, I love that movie also, by the way. Um, and yeah, Grace, what you said definitely hit me because that's something that I've recently been coming to terms with also is just writing and doing what, um, and really just enjoying what feels good without really needing it to be like this profound masterpiece, which I feel like can um, become like an intense pressure, especially for where I am in my career after having, I feel like, my books have gotten like awards and started reviews and it feels like a pressure I have to keep that up instead of just enjoying what I'm doing and having fun with it. So um, my answer originally was that I get to just create, but I actually kind of want to steal your answer now and say that I get to create <laughs> <laughs> what I want to without feeling as much of a pressure as I usually do. Awesome. Well, I think my answer was kind of inspired by our whole conversation. So we all helped each other. <laughs> And that was the self-love and self-care with Kaysen Calendar episode. Thanks for joining us. And thanks to Hachette Audio, Little Brown Books for Young Readers, and Alex at Pacey Works Studio for producing and editing this podcast. You can find me at Planet Alvina on Twitter and TikTok and at Alvina Ling on Instagram. Kaysen, where can people find you? You can find me at KaysenCalendar.com and my Twitter is at KaysenCalendar. And I'm at Pacey Lynn on Twitter and Instagram and author Grace Lynn on Facebook. We love hearing feedback. So keep tagging and messaging us on social media using the hashtag bookfriendsforever or send us a message via our website, bookfriendsforever.com. You can also see more detailed show notes there. And if you have any suggestions for future topics to cover, please let us know. And of course, please remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and if you like this podcast, please tell a friend about it. And please join our Patreon. The link is in the show notes. I'm Alvina Ling. And I'm Grace Lynn. And I'm Case and Calendar. Have a great week. And don't forget to read. <laughs>